Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again as author Nikhil Goyle joins us to discuss his new book, Dreaming of Stanford, as well as many other things, including the sad truth that, like it or not, you will have to come up with something to pay the bills, the importance of chance encounters, soulmates, lucid dreaming, and as Pearl Jam reminds us, if I'd known then what I know now, (laughs) wouldn't that be great? Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Dows podcast, episode 151. Across from me, as always, Mr. Daniele Bolelli. Good to see you. How you been? Not bad. Welcome, you guys. Let's say a quick thanks to the people who have been sponsoring us, which is always sweet. Onnate.com. That's Usara Shore Design t-shirts. You guys know the drill. These sponsors have been us for a long time. If you do nothing else for the podcast in terms of donating or shopping through the Amazon link or anything else, if you can just check out these folks' pages, see if there are products that could uh, be good for your life. That would be sweet. If there aren't, there aren't. But, you know, personally, I really dig all of their products. You know, I've had, I use regularly a lot of Onnit stuff. I use regularly Datsusara stuff. I'm wearing short design as we speak, as usual, with one of their with the strain. That's one of the best ones. Is All of this stuff is awesome. So check them out. And um, you guys know the drill. So having said that, I want to give a shout out. Well, of course, we'll give a shout out. This is not the episode they sponsor, but we give them a shout out anyway, because they are cool. Blue Chew. You're going to go into singing. I'm about to. Go, go. Blue Chew. Blue Chew. You make you make cool when you chew Blue Chew. Blue Chew is awesome. Ta-da. In any case, shout out (laughs) to them for the greatest peel in the history of mankind. Chewable, by the way. Makes it even easier. Um... Oh, by the way, all the links are in the episode notes for all this stuff. One group of guys that I want to give a big shout out to. There's these sweet folks at grasslandbeef.com. Again, that's the word grass, the word land, the word beef.com. Sounds like there might be a big argument going out somewhere in the prairie. Right? It's, it's not that kind of beef. Oh, okay. it's, uh, it's the one that actually <laughs> arrives straight to your door, <laughs> packed in ice, so it stays nice and awesome. Their range of stuff is insanely good. I just had with Savannah the other day some awesome duck, which I'd sworn for years that I would never eat duck again because I like cute ducks. Then I found out that they are necrophilia crepists, and I decided, screw ducks. They're back on the menu. I, we did an episode way early on of Drunken Taoist when my, all my sweet illusions about ducks were I, shattered. I remember that. 
So <laughs> yes, but uh, so if you guys again, if you're vegetarian, of course this does not apply to you. But if you do eat meat, uh, grasslandbeef.com, their selection is amazing. Check them out. I dig them. Shout out also to my friend Danny Womack, who operates Snow Roast Coffee. These guys have, um, they give you a 15% discount if you use the word Tao, T-A-O, and the number 18. Um, I think that's it. So, of course, if you do shop on Amazon, please use our Amazon link. Okay, guys, here we go. We jump into our conversation with Nikhil. Welcome to the Drunken Taoist, my man. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, just to give you guys, you know, you know how the conversations go. We go all over the place. But just to get things started and give you a sense of what will be, at least our takeoff point will be. Nikhil recently wrote a book called Dreaming of Stanford, How to Rethink High School and the Pursuit of College. Do tell. Uh, how did it come into being? Uh, when? How? Why? All the good stuff. So, um, I recently graduated from Stanford last June mm-hmm. and published this book. Uh, self-published it um, within the last few months, and it's principally a guide to high school, college, self-education, self-definition, and the cumbersome questions of growing up. Um, it really is sort of a manifesto, a call to action to rethink how students today go about high school Mm -hmm. and college. Principally, it's for high school students, um, but I would say about 60% of it is for college students, and then about 20, 25% is for college graduates. The motivating questions for this book were, why did we want to go to Stanford so badly? Uh, And when I say we, my co-author and I, Mm -hmm. did going there solve any of our existential angst? And having now graduated, what advice would we give to our younger selves or, say, a younger sibling? Because mm-hmm. like when you were in high school, the, was there kind of family pressure on, you know, success, you need to go to the big university, all that stuff? Is that how it, your experience was? I think my parents were really good about it. They mm-hmm. sort of were hands-off. Um, I think it was more community pressure. Okay. Um, there's sort of this tacit expectation that success is tied to the school that you go to mm-hmm. um, or the place that you work at, you know, Goldman Sachs, Google, right. the typical places. For me in high school, I college was always the end goal. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't sort of a tool or a stepping stone, which I think it should be. Um, and in that respect, all my actions were sort of directed toward getting into this one place. 
um, pretty much outside of the classroom. I think inside of the classroom, I was a little more original and uh, I sort of revered learning for its own sake. But the things I, were, I was doing outside of the classroom um, were sort of all directed to getting in. And once I got in, um, there's no possible way that any instantiation of college could have lived up to that ideal because it was so high up in my mind. Of course. So there was this sort of, sort of like uh, dropping off of this of this cliff. Yeah. Um, and I was like, whoa, like okay, what what do I do now? Uh huh. I'm here. Um, study. Where do I? <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, what's the point of doing all this? I thought this was the the end goal. Um, and so that sort of triggered this triggered this existential crisis um, that had been sort of knocking. Um, knocking at the door in high school, but I'd sort of staved off because uh, all of my attention focus was getting into getting school. Getting in. Well, okay, so you got in the big school, you're going to have the fancy degree. What were you going in for? Like, what was the, um, what major, what was the plan with it? Did you even know before you got there? Because I changed six times. Yeah, I was, so I'm interested in pretty much everything. And, my, and because my interests were so scattered, um, I thought that this would be the place to sort of figure it out. Um, but I went in wanting to study computer science, um, and I actually think that was the right decision for me. Um, but sort of the reasons that I wanted to go there were to find people who were similar to me, mm -hmm. um, people who were original, who wanted to do cool stuff. And um, to be honest, when I got there, I was like having a really hard time finding those people. Sure. Um, and eventually I did, but it, it took a while. Um, well, nobody really warned you that that first semester is far from the uh, picture painted on the movies of what college is going to be like. It's a lot of uh, trying to figure out where your people are and how to get here in the football dorm and things like that. I actually thought like the very beginning, I think, I mean, I was also coming from Italy, so who knows, but for me it was like exciting the beginning because it's like it's all like a big weird vacation experience. But when reality sinks in, like by semester two or three, I was like, Oh, now this is a real thing. This wasn't just Disneyland where I went and met people and just played around. Oh shit! Now it's I have to actually do this stuff, and I'm not so sure I like it so much. Yeah, I agree. So. I think the initial part was really exciting, right? And then when it fell off, it fell off for you know kind of like a year and a half right. until the end of of uh, pretty much sophomore year of college. So basically, from end of sophomore year of high school to end of sophomore year of college, I was having this sort of existential dread, and there were parts where I was able to kind of push it away. Um, was it, it part of, sorry to bug you, but was it part of the existential dread just trying to figure out, okay, I got in, I'm going to get my degree. What do I want to do with it? Was it like the choices you have to make in terms of, uh, what will this lead to? Because of course college is not an end into itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, was that it? Like trying to figure out what you wanted to do with it or that was one component, but I think it was, it was much, uh, deeper in the sense of, um, meaning of life, what's the point, what's right. the point of doing anything, um, which at the time I thought were smart questions, mm -hmm. um, but sort of after I realized weren't. And it was getting to the point where um, sort of my physical and mental health were deteriorating at the end of sophomore year. And I was like, man, I, I've been sort of checking boxes for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, if I don't do something now in a big way, um, it's, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going right. to be strange. Right. Um, so basically what I did was I took a summer off, mm -hmm. kind of a summer of searching, if you will. Um, and I just said, I'm not going to do anything sort of practical. I'm just going to basically reset. Um, and that summer I basically just meditated and read a bunch of books. Um, and the things that I wanted to figure out were sort of this, the answer to this question. 
um, what's the point of doing anything? And then beyond that, it's like, okay, if I, if I figure that out, then figure out how do I move forward? Yeah. But principally it was, you know, what's the meaning of life and all that. And to go about answering that, I kind of picked a selection of books that I thought could help me out. So, um, I read a bunch of Richard Feynman. I read a bunch of Herman Hesse, um, Douglas Adams, and each one sort of helped me in, in their own way. Um, you know, Richard Feynman has no fear under uncertainty, right? He's like laughing and having mm-hmm. a wonderful time. Right. And I was like, wow, oh, that's, that's so cool. It's such a relief. Um, Herman Hesse, sim- similar scenario. Um, and then Douglas Adams was like, okay, there, there we go. Um, intellectually, I understand now that you know, that's not the right question. Sure. Um, and that he talks about how civilization goes to three phases, right? He talks about how there's the how phase, there's the why phase, and there's the where phase. So survival inquiry and sophistication mm-hmm. now survival had basically been taken care of for me um, right you know my parents you know kind of worked as hard as, as they could to come to america and sort of take care of that for their kids so now i'm i'm in the y phase and and i think the y phase has this tricky component to it where it's like really you have to ask the right questions um, and i think those are a lot harder than than figuring out the answer and having incorporated all of this knowledge um, I was driving one day in, uh, in my baby blue Prius, um, and, uh, windows were down and the sun sort of like embraced me, um, and sort of hit me in this way. And for a moment I, f- I felt the answer that I was looking for and it was very fleeting. It was like two or three seconds. And I think there are a bunch of words that I could use to describe it, whether it was wonder or mm-hmm. love or sort of submission, but it was sort of two or three seconds of ultimate significance. Um, and the way, I, the way I view significance is you can imagine yourself as a, a center point and then concentric circles expanding around you with increasing radius. And you as a center point, that's the self, that's the individual. Um, and then let's say the first circle around you is your family, your immediate family. Mm-hmm. And the circle after that might be your community. And then after that, you know, your nation and then humanity and then the universe, you know, if the radius goes out to infinity. And, um, and I think that the bigger the radius is and the, that you attach yourself to, um, the more significant you just feel on a daily basis. And uh, in that moment, I felt sort of like a radius equals infinity for like a few seconds. And I was like, okay, there's, there's the answer I've been looking for. Um, and after that, uh, it was, okay, how do I try to capture that feeling as much as possible moving forward? So that's kind of where I was going with the question, more the how part. The mm-hmm. okay, what do I want to get out of this? How how do I go about it? How does that translate to the rest of my life? All that kind of stuff, which is sort of the standard thing that I mean, it's not. You're talking about high school, college, but reality is, lots of people have those questions throughout their life, yeah. right? Because you can be 50 years old and you're like, "Fuck this! This is not working. I need to rechange my life." You know, I'm still alive and I'm not happy. This is not clicking. Uh, whether it's midlife crisis, whether it's, you know, whether it's those points where you turn and go, the current setup as it is, I don't dig it. Why am I doing it? Well, of course I need the money. Okay, that's a good answer, but it's not good enough for me to keep doing it forever. Is there another way to go about it that gives me a better life, that gives me... So that kind of thing, you know, clearly the high school college is a key moment because that's where a lot of those decisions are made that may affect the rest of your life yeah but then again people sometimes come to that crossroad not even once in their life you know they may come multiple times as at various points they go oh 
okay, what used to work for 10 years or maybe didn't really work, but I made it work for 10 years. Uh, now it really doesn't. It's staring at me right in front of me. So, okay, we need to change. How do we go about it? What's some of the stuff the, um, in terms of what you dive into the book and the how do we go about it? How do we, what kind of questions we, cre we ask ourselves to create a better life and all of that? What are some of the things that you focused on in the book? Yeah. And, and real quick, did you know Sanjay before you went to school or did you guys meet at Stanford? We met freshman year at Stanford. Okay. Um, actually, I'll, I'll say one thing to that is one of the major caveats with writing this book is um, we did go to Stanford. We did benefit from the osmosis of going there. And now right. we're saying, oh, we're, we're not saying don't go to Stanford. Sure. So let me be clear. But we are saying, you know, really think about the decision you're making. Um, and... I think we're pretty much the only people in a position to say, like, we, we tasted the grapes and they were in fact sour, right? We were in the ivory tower, so to speak, and we, we saw the inside. Um, again, not a condemnation of any one particular university, but I chose the word Stanford because we went there and because it represents sort of an ideal sure. that we strive to without thinking. Um, now, going back to the previous question, I think the set of tools that I used and that uh, we talk about in the book, um, one big one for how you sort of deconstruct and reconstruct yourself is understanding your boundary conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, obviously the principal one is death, the foundational fear. Um, but other ones like, you know, what's your burn rate? Um, you know, um, do you have access to water? Do you have access to food, shelter? And then you can sort of go up, go up the set of needs there. Um, but then really being like, concrete and saying, okay, are some of my boundary conditions, are they over-exaggerated? Um, for example, you know, is making $200,000 a year, is that really necessary or can I go, you know, 150, mm -hmm. 100,000 and still be happy? Um, do I want a family? Do I want kids? So all these boundary conditions that once defined, I think help you move a lot more clearly through uncertainty. Yeah. Cause one of the things is that often people tend to either minimize what they are going to need and then realize, no, actually, oh, shit, I forgot about <laughs> medical insurance. I need that. That's important. I Let me throw that into the budget. Let me, you know, and sometimes you think like ideal, perfect scenario and you realize, okay, no, it turns out I needed a little more than I thought I did. But then there is the other thing happening, as you're saying, which is the it's never enough and you need these goals that in order to achieve you have to basically sacrifice your life for because then you have no time and no energy because you need to dedicate it to something to make the money because once i'll have my <laughs> two hundred thousand dollars a year then that's when life will make sense yeah and it's like yeah that's so that's oh. like the old notion that you know we'll have kids when we can afford it well that number yeah. doesn't exist because you'll never be able to afford it and sometimes when you spend so much time overthinking my boundaries you miss out on what's going on around you yeah I mean, sometimes you just got to let, let it fly and see what happens. I can't imagine having these existential crises stepping into college. I was worried about where the first keg was going to be. <laughs> and we found that, you know, within hours. So that was taken care of. And beyond that, figuring out how to get classes and off we went. Mm -hmm. But just sort of like foolishly stumbling through it was almost a better way. I wasn't concerned about these things at all, man. I, yeah, I'm going to die. I had that figured out from accidents in high school. But yeah. beyond that, it was almost like letting it unfurl. Um, I stumbled into the incredible position where 
my school brought a brand new mobile production truck and essentially threw all the pieces and parts at it and said, all right, fools, put it together. And it was the greatest possible educational experience you could hope for. Because, of course, we put, it, we put it together wrong three times. But once it was together, we knew how every aspect of it worked. Had one of the greatest pieces of equipment easily in the South at that time. And it was a grand learning experience. So these talk of dread and, and I don't know, man. It, it's, I, I worry. Do you think perhaps, did you ever, was it ever even a, a possibility of a gap year or two before you jumped into college or... If I had to do things again, I would take a gap year. But of course, that's having the knowledge that I know now. Of course. Um, it's like uh, Pearl Jam will tell you. Right? If I had known then, <laughs> what, what I, I know, know now. now. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't say everyone has this existential dread. I think like everyone kind of, most people I think at least have an inkling of it in college. Sure. But my thing was I just want to create a set of frameworks to help people from my community kind of accelerate that transition. Um, and do it earlier because, you know, what you do after high school, there is a big time energy and money investment. Um, and the community that I come from, which is the Bay Area, really competitive high schools, um, you know, top public schools in the nation. Um, it really is like sheep following sheep around the high school in this mm-hmm. endless loop-de-loop. There is no shepherd. Everyone's trying to fit themselves to an invisible mold. Um, this one high school asked me, how, how do you even know if you're making progress toward, you know, whatever you want to be doing, getting into college, whatever it is. I said, there, there is no, there is no way to really know that. Um, so stop trying to fit yourself to an invisible mold. Um, and another student, and I asked another student, uh, what's your definition of success? And the student was like, um, I think success means being successful. And he caught himself and he's like, oh, wait, man, I don't even have a definition of success. So I'm just going along with what everyone right. else is doing. Um, but I think what you're saying is so true that you need time at that age to just experiment, to kind of mess around. Um, to take like a few risks, which aren't even risks. If you really think about it, they're, they're, they're not that risky. Um, and I think school today kind of like kills the joy of like learning. Um, specifically when everything is about getting those A's, getting into college, and then once you're into college, get that job at Goldman Sachs. And then once you're at Goldman Sachs, then like marry the specific person who your parents would community will be happy that you marry and then you can start living your life i would have jumped off the goldman sachs tower immediately following that That (laughs) sounds like that sounds like a nightmare to me but that's that's the reality of like a lot of this uh a lot of the people's lives from the community that i come from well we need to reprogram these people i agree agree. that's the goal man that's the goal i mean it's i mean it's almost it's almost terrifying to hear that the gap year is definitely a thing you should do you know get out and go some places you've never been interact with people you've never met before you know expand your boundaries being stuck with these you know, I, you got friends in the Bay Area and the Sausalito types and the whole bit. And yeah, if you think success is money, you're doomed from the very beginning. Because mm-hmm. and that's I think is what's interesting is that we're talking. It's interesting how the mindset is. It doesn't really matter whether you are in the ghetto with no money or you are coming from the super wealthy family. If the mind, I mean, it matters on many other levels, but it doesn't matter on the mindset of uh, um, are you free to figure out a way to run your own life or not? Or, and again, not even maybe it's family, maybe it's community, maybe it's somebody else pressuring you, or you, maybe it's just yourself because of the stuff that you have been exposed around you. And so I always find it fascinating when, you know, you can see the slave work of people who have to work like dogs for $3. I get that that's slave work because you have no other option. 
But I'm also fascinated with the slave work of people who have all the opportunities, who have all the doors open in the world, and they are slaves to themselves because they have these ideas of how it's supposed to be. And so to me, it's like whether you are a $1 a day slave or whether you have $23 billion in the bank, clearly it's a lot more comfortable to have $23 billion in the, the bank. The air conditioning is way better. I'm a big fan of that. If I have to be a slave, I'd rather be the $23 billion one. But it really doesn't change the fact that you're still a slave. You are a slave with luxury. You are a slave that eats good food. You are a slave with... So again, it's not to say, oh, it's the same. Of course, it's not the same at all. But at the same time, it's interesting how mindset-wise, you are still a prisoner of your own bullshit. And that, unfortunately, no bank account in the world can, can change that. How much of this do you think is tied to the insane price of college these days? I mean, what's a, what's a semester at Stanford in a round number these days? Uh, so, so semesters are a quarter system. So okay. it's a full years around $60,000. For what? Right. Yeah, that's insane. See, that's insanity. It's insane. So you're walking yeah. out with a quarter million dollar price tag for a for diploma a, for that a you could get at Santa Monica College. Agreed. There aren't extra chapters. There aren't, you know, are, are there secret? Was there your senior year? Like, all right, y'all, come into the <laughs> secret room and the Goldman Sachs fairy will show you. Right. I mean, did that happen? I've asked my Vanderbilt friends the same thing. I went to school 20 miles from them. We got the same degree, but I didn't have to carry around. Then it was only like $40,000. And just, I'm working on a, a movie about the Apollo mission right now. Those guys, college was $89 a semester back right, then. Right. You know, when I got to it, it was $800 a semester. And I just think when you're gambling a quarter million dollars on this, I can see where you would be really There's crushing this position that there must yep. be success. We got to change this. I mean, first of all, how is it fair that banks are allowed to make money off of students? Does that make you crazy at all? It Why does, doesn't the Federal yeah. Reserve just loan the money directly to the students at 0%? It's pretty wild. That's not a crazy notion, is it? Except for a bank. And... That putting putting students in these insane situations is why we're leading to where we're at. Yeah, I think today, I think school, you know, used to be the place of, of the only place where you could learn. But today, I mean, you, if you have internet access, there's no excuse for you not to learn something. Um, like you can listen to History on Fire and get the best history lessons. God that damn, anyone yeah, could, that's right. Yeah. That is true. I think I should start listening to that one. That's I'm, a good one. Like somebody been mentioning that. <laughs> And I think the final pillar of college is credentialing, and that's, that's slowly crumbling right now. Um, there are so many alternatives that are popping up, you wouldn't even believe. Like Udacity, Coursera, edX, Make School, Lambda School, um, all of these different things that are providing these sort of smaller credentials, which I think will replace the traditional ones. That being said, I think there's still a place for these major universities in terms of research and academic research, sure. which you sort of need that, that environment physical environment you need the the lab um but other than that i i it's i think it's kind of crazy when people say like oh like, i need to go to a specific university to get an education no you don't um if, you know you want to you want to go go learn about you know quantum electrodynamics go read richard Feynman's books those books are in your library which yeah, I mean, right. Well, and are all the MIT out. courses are available on the internet too. They're all available. You don't get so, a degree, but you yeah. can certainly learn. Yeah, if you have internet access and time, then go learn. Well, um, but I think he was uh, what was it? Good old Frank Zappa. You know, if you if you want to get an education, go to the library. If you want to get laid, go to college. Yeah, there's that too. I mean, without 
I think there's an element of just uh, like I think about my experience. It was funny because I remember I went to UCLA, right? So it's not as uh, fancy as Stanford in that sense, but it's still a fairly highly ranked school. And I look at the rankings and I'm like, this shit doesn't mean less than nothing because I look at like the courses I had at UCLA, they weren't any better than the courses I had in community college. You know, it was more like lack of the draw and which professor you get. And you could get an amazing one in the crappiest school in the world and you could get a awful one in the fancy ones. And it was just, yeah. yeah, and if anything, a lot of the big universities are populated by people who have the, you know, were hired because of their research and they, what they really don't want to do is, I remember somebody at UCLA saying, yeah, oh, this is a great gig, meaning being hired at UCLA, except for the teaching part. And I was like, <laughs> holy shit, that's what people pay tens, tens of thousands of dollars for, to be in your class where you don't want to be there. You know, it's like, so to me, when I realized, okay, so ranking has nothing to do really with the quality of the education. If there is something interesting happening there is uh, the people you meet. That, of course, you know, at the... It's some universities will tend to attract a different type of people than others, but it's not really the what you're actually learning. It's not the content. It's more everything else that's around it. Yeah, and I've so, always felt the same way, that, that more of the learning was outside the classroom than was actually in it. It was the experience and the interactions you had that really lit the fire. Agreed. I think that's the main thing I've taken away from school. Yeah. Um, and that is the one that, in fact, I have, I'm interested in because that one I don't know how to replace. You know, all the online yeah. learning in the world, all the resources that are out there, they are great if you are a lonely freak locked up in your room. That's great. You know, you have access to some amazing stuff. But how do you replace the fact that college is one of those very, very, very few experiences that people have as adults where you actually get to interact with large numbers of people, you get to meet large number of people because... American society, in other places is different, but in American society in particular, the options, the chances you have in life to be in a place where there are thousands of people and you're going to spend months and years there, so you're going to run into a lot of them, you're going to meet a lot of them, that doesn't really happen that much. Mm -hmm. You know, most people, when they get their job, they have, you know, 40 other cubicles in that office and that's all you're going to meet on your job. You know, you're going to meet a few people through net. Not that many. You're going to, it seems like monstrously lonely the way it's set up, where your chances of meeting human beings that you're going to click with gets progressively shrunken as each year you spend after college. Yeah. Those chance, for those chance interactions were the gold of the whole thing, I think. You know, just what they're talking about that over there, and you'd slide over and check it. And next thing you know, there's a 10 hour conversation and a friendship that's been cemented for life. That really is, you're absolutely correct. Maybe we need to start our own online that happens to have dorms. Right, where you actually... So you go take or, your or, class you know, you at night do, and then yeah. the daytime, come outside and play some volleyball with somebody. Or maybe it's, uh, yeah, it could be a, or make a year-around or, place, or it can be even do all the online you want, yeah. but three months in summer you spend with these people, you know, where you have an in-depth, you live there, you spend your time, that kind of thing. You know, the options are many. I And obviously nobody has figured it out well because otherwise it would exist already and I'm not really seeing it. But that to me is uh, the primary thing that college gives you, uh, that 
really I don't see anywhere else. Like think about even stuff that's not related to education, but like, for example, earlier at one point you mentioned relationship, people you're going to be with, marry, have kids with, all that kind of stuff. It's hilarious how we have even these concepts of, oh, your soulmate, your this, your that. When you look at the reality of how many people you meet, it's ridiculously small. So what you're saying is this is the best person among the 230 that you met in the last 10 years who fit an age profile that makes sense, who fit, uh, they are the right gender for you, they are all that kind of stuff. It's like, you're not talking about the one in the universe, you're talking the one about 200 you run into. That's not exactly, that again is means, and, and no surprise also, you get so many shitty marriages because you're really picking the least crappy person you run into among the few you know. Oh no. That's not the, <laughs> when you actually have exposure, you meet a bunch of people, your standards change because you're not just stuck with those three options. So I think it's really like, to me, the social aspect of it all is the one that I don't know how to replace. Like on one end, I really am completely with you on the content part, right? Like there's so much about college that's not needed, where the ranking makes no sense, where what you're doing in college sometimes is off. Still better than nothing, because I compare it to a lot of people who don't have any kind of educational experience in that regard and maybe they don't uh, and you know you can be super smart without that opportunity but then you need to play your cards right so i do think there's a place for it but content wise i'm not that enthusiastic about what happens on a campus but the human interaction part i have no idea how to replace and um, that's one that i think is key to figure out if we are going to kind of redesign what higher education looks like mm -hmm. That to me is the number one question to figure out before what you study, before how you study, before everything else is the coolest part of college, the, the human element. How do we keep that alive and maximize it? You know, because that's the, but sorry, I interrupted you, Rich. On uh, no, I just, and I was talking about the national service thing, but just what you said, there's a lot of people that ask me, their kids want to get into the movie business. And it's often tough to recommend that they go to college because at this point in time, I would recommend you come to Hollywood and be a PA mm -hmm. and just get your feet into it because you're going to learn a lot more and make a lot more connections in those four years and not have to pay $240,000 right. for it than you ever would sitting in class. And you're almost behind at that point. Someone's got four years on you and knows everybody and you're showing up with your, I've got a fancy degree here, says I know how to do this. Yeah, right. but you haven't done it yet. Right. So... I'm with you on a lot of on a lot of what you have to say here, even though I haven't more than skimmed the book yet. I think if you're if you're trying to be a graphic designer, would you rather go to a who would who would an employer rather hire? Someone who went to a four year university had to take a bunch of you know BSGE courses, um, didn't didn't you know get their portfolio to the place they needed to be, or someone who created an Instagram, did did a design every single day for four years, had fifty thousand followers, had connected to other graphic designers, yep. had displayed some of their work somewhere. Um, seriously, who would, who would an employer rather hire? I think, I think the credentialing is really, it's in the internet age, it's really going down the drain. And I think within probably 20 years, it's just going to be a way different landscape. Portfolios over credentials. Yeah. Now, let me play devil's advocate on this. It's interesting though, how sometime the path that you don't think is the path turns out to be interesting. Like for example, you know, a lot of stuff, uh, I agree, you know, like you have G courses that I'm like, by the time you're in college, 
I've done, uh, I don't know, math for how many years? Do I really need, when I know that I'm never gonna need it in my life, do I really need one more math course to go through or whatever many? Probably not. At the same time, it's interesting because you are suddenly an adult and your brain is beginning to see things that you may have not seen earlier on. So sometimes you are exposed to something that you never considered as an option earlier and you go, oh, look at that, this is actually interesting. There's something actually valuable in this or even like college itself. I mean, the only reason why I went to college, like in my mind was always the stuff I wanna do, I wanna write, I wanna create certain things, I wanna, I'm not gonna need a college degree for. So screw it, why am I doing it? And really the only answer was pretty simple is there was mandatory military service in Italy. <laughs> and the only way to skip it for a while is to stay in college. And the other one was if I wanna live in US, that's my visa is how I stay in the yeah, country. So those were your boundary conditions. So yeah. those were, you know, it's like, okay, I guess I'll go to college. It's not like I really want to, but okay, I guess I'll do it, you know. But then here is the funny thing. As I go through it, then I start realizing, okay, for me to try to make a living writing or eventually become podcasting or something a little more creative, I also need something to pay the bills and cover my ass. And among all the many different things that I could try to do to pay the bills and cover my ass, hey, it turns out that I actually really like teaching. Mm. Oh, turns out I actually need the stupid degree. <laughs> Look at that, you know? So it's kind of like, I would have never gone that route. But then I wouldn't have also had the, now it's like 17 years that I teach college. And I'm like, and that actually actually worked out pretty well for me because it did allow me to do these things that otherwise, you know, if I had to depend on the money that I made writing, shit, I would have probably shot myself 10 years ago, you know, it's like, or... So sometimes it's weird is, and again, you can only try so many things because you have limited, sure, anything theoretically can open up a path, but you can't try everything because there's limited time and energy. But I guess it's interesting to sort of along the line of what you are saying of the take a year off or figure out, sometimes taking some random G course can be part of that. Let's explore. Let's see what it feels like. Yeah. Let's, uh, but one thing that's interesting though, what you are saying about grades is it may be actually kind of cool to be able to do some of these things without so much of the grade pressure, where maybe if they do take you a bunch of courses, pass, no pass, where, yeah, yeah you need to work a little, you need to pass the course, but you don't need to have that worry. Shit, if I take the course, that's not exactly my in my area of expertise, then I'm not gonna get an A, that's not gonna allow me to go to graduate school. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's missing the point. He's like, yeah, let people take courses, pass, no pass. Let people explore and just try something that may not be within their wheelhouse. And yeah, I think that's another part of the sort of stratification ranking system. So, you know, who, who can employers get, get the best ones with all the A's? Yeah. Um, but to your previous point, I think chance encounters turned into so much more and things that we thought were important could not be more inconsequential now. Mm -hmm. So what we're saying is not do or don't go to college, but we really just want to sort of expand the cone of possibilities um, to people who had previously seen college as the only possible thing you could do. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes complete sense. Because again, it's not a, you, you get a lot of sort of ultra right wing rhetoric about the evils of college, the this and that. And then I'm like, the elite. Yeah. And then I look at what they produce and I'm like, 
college may have helped you actually. Maybe you could put three words together in a sentence. Maybe, you know, there's something to be said about. So while I am, I am very critical of college in one way, I'm also as critical, if not more, of the anti-college position. So I kind of like the approach that you have that is like, look, nobody's telling you this is pro or against. This is go in with open eyes, go in figuring out what it is that you want to get out of it. Is it really the right answer for you? If it is, great, do it. If it's not, well, let's rethink it for a second or at least take a year off or do something else while you figure it out. I think a lot of the time, otherwise it becomes very dogmatic, is the college is the greatest thing anybody should do and you should start worrying about it since you're two years old mm, yeah. or college <laughs> is totally useless nowadays is crap and uh it's so it's like yeah. i think both are just sort of clickbaity youtubers yeah you know, trying to get clicks yep yeah yeah well there's always been this, there's always been the notion of it's a certificate of trainability which is sort of, you know, a, a joke about it. But at the same time, it does ring true that you did show the dedication to go ahead and knock this thing out. Sure. And that is worth something. Yeah, it's weird because it's kind of a lesson in hoop jumping sometimes. For sure. But that means you know how to jump hoops. <laughs> There's something to be said for that. Maybe it's a bit too many hoops. But, you know, it's like, could you have figured out in a year or two? Because yeah. it's like, come on, there's only so much time you want to dedicate to hoop jumping. But... But yeah, there's uh, it's certainly part of the deal. And I've heard of companies in the Bay Area that are, they don't really care what your degree is. They want people that finished in four years because that's like 17% make mm-hmm. it out in four years. Mm-hmm. They're more concerned with that than what your degree is. We'll train you in what we want to train you. We just like the go get itness. Yeah, I think the tech sector is pretty good about um, leading the charge to focus on skills rather than degrees and credentials. Um, but I actually would like to discuss sort of the how do you how do you sort of navigate that uncertainty about developing your interests um, and allowing yourself to have the freedom to explore various things. Um, one thing we talk about in the book is so for me in, in high school I had tons of interests. Mm-hmm. How do you even go about deciding which one you want to go yep. with? Um, there's this paradox of choice, um, and I think there are three sort of approaches. Right, if you have no clue. First thing you need to do is list out every single possible thing that you even might be slightly interested in. Mm-hmm. Once you do that, you have that full list. Okay, you, you have it on paper. Now sort of do a breath first search. Um, you know, read a Wikipedia article on this topic. If you, if you immediately don't like it, cross it off the list. There, you never have to think about it again. Um, if it even slightly piques your interest, then you know, explore it a little further um, and move on to what we call the one month approach, which is the second approach which is, okay, now you have a list of maybe 20 things that you like. Take one of those things and do a project, a real creative project, get your hands dirty for one month. And we think that's sort of the, it's sort of arbitrary, but it's a good chunk of time um, to to sort of get beyond a certain level of proficiency um, and actually see if you enjoy it or not. Because I think, you know, people always ask, like, what's your passion? I think that's such a toxic word, mm-hmm. passion. Um, because it's built up to be this thing. And if you don't feel it right away, then you end up throwing away that thing. And uh, I know for me, like writing this book, it was basically a one month project where um, Sanjay and I were, okay, we need to put all this stuff down that we've been thinking about for the last six years. And it turned in, it turned into so much more. And if I had at the beginning, just writing that first page, if I was like, oh man, you know, this isn't my passion, um, this would have never come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the final approach is sort of the, the moonshot approach, which is you're really certain like, okay, I really know I want to write or I really know I want to be uh, an astrophysicist and just do that. Stop, stop, stop wasting time with all these random things that other people are 
doing or have worked for them, um, just do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because I think that's part of the problem is the number of people who have, um, you know, they're nice people, they're smart, they're sweet, but they have no idea how being who they are translate into how do I make a career out of it? How do I make money in it? How do I, what does that mean in practical terms? And I think what you're saying is, uh, you know, nobody can tell you. Like, you have to try some stuff. And of course, you're not going to be able to go through a career in a decent amount of time and then go, oh, no, I didn't like that. Let's go. So sometimes what you do is exactly what you described, uh, is uh, talking to people who are doing the things that you are considering. You know, be around somebody who does the job that you think could be interesting for you. Talk to them about what they like, what they don't. Talk about somebody else who does that because you're just going to pick up maybe their biases if you talk to one person. So get a few different people, get a sense of their experience, get a sense of, is that something that you can see yourself being happy doing it? What are the hours like? What's the pay like? What's their day-to-day interaction with other human beings like? What do they like about it? What do they hate about it? You know, all those things where you're kind of shadowing somebody to get a sense of what that life looks like. Right. It's funny, this has nothing to do with it in a way, but it kind of does. Like I get a lot of times, uh, because I'm quite vocal about enjoying and the value that I find in martial art practice, I get a lot of people sometimes asking about, you know, what kind of martial art should I jump into or what kind of martial art should I put my kid into? And to me it's like, I mean, kinds mat- matter, don't get me wrong. Some sort of things are the way but way more important than what kind is go to specific schools, mm-hmm. hang out there, breathe the air there, see are the teachers, are they people that you can you see yourself learning from, that you click with, that you like. Is there it can be the best martial art in the world, but if the person teaching is an asshole, you're done. There's nothing left to say. So you saying, take that one because <laughs> it gives you these attributes. Well, it doesn't if it goes through this particular person. Or Uh, you know, like recently my daughter started doing Taekwondo, which is a martial art I would have never considered, but that particular school was perfect, right? The way they approach it, she clicked with it immediately. The teachers were great. And I was like, Taekwondo it is, you know? It's like, it's not something I would have thought beforehand, like going, oh, that's clearly the martial art that cater. No. But that one works. Maybe you go to the next Taekwondo school and that one is crap. And you're like, no, I'll do jujitsu. Or, you know, yeah. it's like a lot of this other stuff is theory. Ultimately, you need to experience it. You need to try out some things. Gather so, data. Absolutely. Sampling. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what you're both saying. And it is so drastically important because you do have to get a feel for some things. And you said passion. I understand what you mean by it is toxic in some ways. But when you see somebody who's truly ignited... I think we're just more jealous that we don't all get to achieve that level. I mean, like these true artists with the paint under their nails mm-hmm. and that's what they do every day and they don't give a shit about paying the light bill. This is what they want to do. Yep. That's not toxic. Agreed. And that's something we can all yeah. be very jealous of for sure. But what you're talking about is the people like, I can't find my passion. So I'm going to go to art school and waste 35 grand a year to let people know that I can't do it. You don't want to do it anyway. Yep. You'd be better off with $3,000 for the paint and just go do it. Right. So I'm kind of, I see passion both ways. It's the, sure. the hollow people that just don't have anything and are waiting for the phone to ring and, oh, your passion happens to be <laughs> Russian literature. That's never going to happen for them. I think the, uh, I think the subconscious sort of drags us toward an ideal 
And I think the longer your desires and actions are misaligned, like the tougher it is to, to maintain your inner drive. So, you know, you keep, you keep going, you keep going, you keep theorizing, you keep sitting at your desk wondering, Oh, what is, what is, what is my passion? But um, nothing ever clicks. Nothing ever clicks. Cause you don't get your hands dirty. You don't actually try it. And, uh, and then, but once you do, and then I, then you could say, okay, this is my passion, you know, not in quotes, not in any sort of sarcastic way, but man, this is, this, this is the, this is the sauce. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm going to do this thing. Have you found something? Um, I'm, I think I'm still sort of looking. Um, but I had a fantastic time writing this book. I got a degree in computer science and I think this was so much fun to do. Um, but I'm kind of itching to code again. So I'll probably go back, go back to that. <laughs> but, um. Yeah, getting your hands dirty. And I think, like for me, like there's so many things that uh, that I just tried, um, kind of in almost like a silly way, and it just turned into so much more, like meditation, um, lucid dreaming, all these things. Which is like, if you just sit and theorize about it, it's, it's just never gonna happen. Well, and that's I think also when talking about passion with a capital P, sometimes it may be slightly tricky because you it's kind of like somebody told you about a movie and they blow it up like mm. it's the greatest thing ever and then you watch it and it's a good movie but by that point you're like eh, yeah. you know it's not sometime i don't necessarily think it's called again back to the relationship thing it's almost like thinking i need to find the perfect human being the soulmate the this the that is like sometime certain things work in one way but they don't work in other ways. So at least I'm not advising about your relationships. That's up to you what you want to draw from this analogy. But when it comes to... I thought to, you were going full. If you can't find the one you love, love you, love the one you with. Elite. I'm going on the passion <laughs> side that way. You decide how to handle it on the relationship side. But on the passion side, sometimes it's not one thing. Sometimes it's two or three or four. Where one thing will be the cover your ass, pay the bill thing, which is... You are passionate. I mean, if you hate it, well, that sucks because you're essentially just trading all your time and energy for money and that's not fun. You're doing slave work. But if you're passionate enough that it's like, no, there's enjoyment there. There's definitely enjoyment. But of course, it's not the be all and all necessarily. There are also other aspects that you're less than thrilled with. If they're your only thing and you start thinking, okay, I like this, but there's also this downside. Well, that clearly cannot feel like this is your passion with a capital P. But if it's one piece in a puzzle where that one is good for what it does, it gives me security, gives, pays my bills, and it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. This other one is awesome. I love it. And it makes me no money. So let's keep playing with that if I can figure out a way to make some money out of it. Right. That's even more passion, but it's maybe not realistic. Let's see. But keep it on the side and let's play with it. Maybe there's a third one that's somewhere in between where you're making something. But, and you know, as you Sometimes passion to me is a puzzle. It's not a one path, one thing only. Sometimes it's putting two or three or four things together. That is what creates the best alchemy for you. Rather than uh, the pressure that you put on yourself, if you think that is one thing and one thing only, maybe there never is that one thing and one thing only that you're happy doing eight hours a day for the rest of your life. You know, it's like few things are. I think it's similar to that question of what is the meaning of life? You know, mm-hmm. searching for this ideal that's been built up so much um, may not exist. And then your whole life, you're just sort of wasting it away, like searching for that thing when in front of you is all this beauty around yep. you. Um, sure, it's not 100%, but it might be 75%. Yep. So know, know the cards cards that you've been dealt and then play around with that. Yep. No, most definitely. Because I think like, 
I mean, I think about the stuff that I enjoy the most. If I have to do that every single day, morning through night, I don't know that I enjoyed that much for that long. You know, eventually that stuff wear off. Whereas uh, if I get to do that some of the time, even a good chunk of the time, but I also get to do other things, okay, now I don't burn out. Now I don't feel like I, ah, oh, Jesus, I have to do this thing. Yeah, I guess it's better than being in the mines, but I still don't feel like it anymore. If yeah. right is the spice of life. Yeah. So again, when it applies to relationship, you decide whether this conversation apply or not. But when it applies to uh, career paths, I think it's important. Yeah, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the great poets were uh, insurance executives. Right, exactly. Where it's like, hey, sometime, and hopefully, you know, maybe they is had that a... Is true? It is, yeah. Yeah, a lot of them, basically, there's, there's everyone who, become, who tries to become a poet pretty much eventually gets this advice, which is get your day job and then do poetry after that. And uh, I think because, perhaps because they understand that so, um, I guess, so strongly, like they just like, screw it, I'm just, I'm just going to be an insurance executive. Like kind of the dullest possible thing you could right. do, but it's the day job. I thought there's some sort of equation between uh, actuary tables and uh, poetry itself. That's where and it's uh, such opposites that they're actually the same. I was actually thinking, I remember as a kid thinking, um, I saw it, I was watching, uh, do you see guys the Marvel Spanisher, the TV series? I did see that. Yeah, I was, I'm halfway through and um, there's this scene where he's like, he's going to work and he just swing this giant hammer and break this bunch of concrete. And I remember as a kid, I was like, oh my God, that's the ideal job for me. <laughs> it's like no thinking, no bullshit, no talking, no opinions, no nothing. Just take that wall down. Big wall, hammer, keep swinging until it goes down. I was like, yes, <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. Today? I can have, you know what? I wouldn't mind. Uh, I have perfect, like if that pays and then it leaves me enough time to do my own shit creatively and stuff, I'm all for it. I have nothing against it. Yeah. Like, to give you an idea of the weird mix, as I told you before, I didn't tell him, of course, but, like, one thing that I was considering at some point was, um, you know, whereas right now one of all the main ways that I'm making a living are kind of very intellectually up in the head type of thing, one of the things that I loved that I thought I would do, and if I didn't end up teaching, I would have probably done that, uh, massage. I was like, I'm good at it. I enjoy it. Uh, women like it. I'm a fan. Um, uh, and, you know, if I can make a living with my hands that way and then have time to do some of my other stuff, perfectly happy with it yeah, so yeah. i'm just like you know so the combinations to me are interesting because they don't necessarily all have to be in the same field they are not like oh i'm the nerd intellectual type so i'll do all the nerd intellectual shit no maybe you need something exactly opposite for part of your day job or sure. maybe even your main one and then you you know so the it's interesting how that plays out i think we like the nice little buckets we can say oh he's the he's the author and yeah he's the janitor and he does this I think to name to name something is to to believe you know something mm -hmm. um, because I think the unnamed is like quite quite frightening. It's quite unsettling, right? Deep Let's... ocean. If you see something moving around, you can't name it. You're oh, okay. What what is that thing? It could be anything. That's um, very Taoist of you about the uh, the nameless and uh, yeah, the fact that ultimately all the labels, all the words, all the these are are a way to kill the life that exists in reality. Yeah. And when you, back to going full circle to your original point, when you or your community or the people around you are striving 
to fit in that box to I am going to be the engineer I am going to be the business guy I am going to be the or maybe not even that maybe it's the guy who all he can talk about is jujitsu all day long you know I'm gonna be that one thing I'm gonna take that identity that prepackaged identity and I'm just gonna put it on me until it fits and there's not mm. one millimeter left for anything else I'm like you want that yeah that's that what you want to do to yourself yeah. or why would you you know it's a comfortable place it is because right. there's a very clear set of expectations everybody know how to relate to you you know what to do you know what your priorities and values are but to me it's like how about you be you you know which is a weird mix of ten thousand things and figure Infinitely out how to, exactly and that's the fun of life yeah, that's where it gets interesting yeah. to me take the best path in the world, the stuff that I enjoy the most, if that's all you are ever, holy shit, that gets boring really fast. And that's one thing, by the way, that I find, I don't know if depressing or amusing or what it is about Facebook is, you know, with social media, sometimes you get to be in touch with people that you haven't been in touch for a long time. And uh, Sometimes there's a reason you haven't been in touch with right? them. Right. And sometimes, like, I look at somebody's profile and maybe I know them for one thing right we both took those kind of classes and that's it and then i look at their profile and that's all there is it's all about that one thing and i'm like holy shit that one thing that i met you for the one that we have in common is like one of about five thousand things that i'm interested in that i do but then i look at your thing and it's the one and only and i'm like oh that doesn't i mean, maybe it's the most satisfying thing in the world if you are wired differently from me but from my point of view, I'm like, I would rather drop a real heavy weight on my balls right now than live like that, you know. It's, I thought you were going to say the opposite. Then then when they discovered they won the rhubarb pie baking contest out of the blue. Because that is the things I like to find out, that these things you didn't know about or these... No, that's the inspiring one. That's down. definitely yeah, not the... the yeah, yeah, that's when I it's agree. cool, where it's like, oh, I knew them for this thing, but there's so much more to them. Whereas is I knew them for that thing... And in about five minutes, I saw everything there was to see because there's nothing else. I think reaching out and trying different things is so important. I know when, when I was first trying to be a freelance editor and just the work would be few and far between, my father-in-law was a paint contractor. And I would go out and paint warehouses and stuff. And initially, he was like, oh, God. But it slowly became obvious that you would work on these projects that would take six months to get done. And when you were done, eh it was pretty good but on a daily basis painting walls the difference from where it was when you got there in the morning to what you did leaving that reward was instantaneous right and it was just interesting that you know these folks that seem to be doing these more monotonous things they're getting their reward every day i actually and, think it's kind of cool in some respects i think it's if, you, if you're doing it because of, it's something you love like um have you guys seen jiro dreams of sushi I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Any any sort of master that like is dedicated to their craft because they love it so much. That is cool. But if you're doing it out of fear, out of just you know, I got to be this thing. Misery. That's that's probably the depressing one. I think most definitely. So I see you have interest in lucid dreaming. Tell us what you've learned, and why don't you have a degree in that? (laughs) I think the reason I started doing it was um, I didn't want to fear uncertainty so much. And I thought that exploring the unconscious would be a cool way to go about that. No uncertainty hiding in there at right, all. Right, none at all. <laughs> so, um, and I figured might as well have fun, a little more fun with sleep, you know. Uh, 
and I just started keeping a dream journal. Um, and then probably after around 30 days, I actually got the first step, which was to become aware of what I was dreaming about, to know that I was dreaming. And it lasted a few seconds because I freaked out a little bit too hard. And then I, I think woke yourself woke, up. woke myself up. Well, anytime Carlos Castaneda comes up and says, Hey, you got it. It's going to freak you out. <laughs> right. And, uh, still trying to get lucid control. I've gotten it a couple times. Um, I think once I kind of flew around, uh, New York city, um, and I could feel the sensation of my gut and I was like, Hey man, I'm lucid dreaming. This is great. Um, but I'm still, still chasing that. Um, but it's really cool. I think like sort of like this, like barrier between conscious and unconscious and you can sort of move this focal point, kind of slide it along this barrier, um, with your sort of um, conscious um, information gathering, you know, like you spend all day painting, um, refining your craft, and then you meditate or walk or take a nap or, you know, dream. And then this focal point is at the specific position. And then it's sort of, it's sort of relaxed. And then in pours this unconscious. And previously, what was randomness, you can now make sense of it, and you can make connections to it. Um, so that's been really cool also to see how the day uh, manifests in the dream that I'm aware of. And then I can write it down, make sense of it, um, and kind of just know myself a little bit better. But not always the case, right? The day doesn't always show up. Sometimes something doesn't extraordinary always. shows up. Yeah. Or terrifying. Yeah. Or confusing. <laughs> I always worry that, like the old song says, merrily, 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 life is but a dream. Are we totally sure that this isn't the dream and what the dream world is is what's really going on? Right. I think... Uh, forget who the author of the poem was. I think you may know, but it's the butterfly's dream. Chuan Tzu. Chuan Tzu and the butterfly. Yes. Am I the butterfly uh, dreaming that That I'm human or a human dreaming that I'm a butterfly? Of course. Yeah, that's a classic good old Chuan Tzu. I think if I could could have lucid dreaming at will, I don't think that I would have any dream other than about sex. I don't know that I would have. It's kind of like, you know, our whole technological innovation is driven by porn pretty much. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like, I think that's the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth function that I would put lucid dream into. That's uh, why the VR is so dangerous because when right. they perfect Claudia Schiffer in 1986, there's folks that will never come out. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, thank you. Life has been good, yeah. but. Just sort of recede in their autonomous vehicles, plug into VR and just move around. Yeah. Endlessly. Yeah. I think you plug into them, use them as a battery, and yeah. there we are. This yeah. may be complete uh, made up. I have some vague memory of seeing it somewhere, but I don't remember whether it was, you know, it's possible that it's urban legend. But I remember some kind of an experiment involving a monkey, I believe, where they could, they basically could press a, bot- a button and give themselves an orgasm. And they did that like for 24 hours straight. He was just like, pop. <laughs> keep going over and over and over and over and over. I think I had a roommate who was like that. (laughs) (laughs) That was something different. That does it. Yeah. Sell your book to us. Where can we find it? Where can we get it? And uh, where can we learn more about you on the interwebs? You can find the book on um, iBooks and Amazon, both uh, Kindle and paperback form. Um, Kindle is $6.99. Paperback is $9.99. Um, if I were a high schooler or a college student, I would carry this book around in my backpack at all times, um, just because it gives you the frameworks to sort of navigate your basically in all the tough questions a lot faster. Um, where you can find about more about me is, uh, I'm on Twitter, um, at Nikhil M, um, as in man, Goyle, Nikhil M Goyle. 
we'll put it in the episode notes so if cool. you guys are spelling challenge we can you can check it at the episode notes for this one on the drunken taoist uh, um, website well thanks for hanging out with us thank you both for having me the funky music means that's the end of another fine episode of the drunken Dows podcast so there we have it you know it made me think of something do tell what do you think is the oldest english word that you could carry back into time and would still be recognized centuries maybe even millennia ago no idea but you would think it would be something simple or you know sure basic water tree they um they just did an episode about this on, on radio lab and it fascinated okay. me and i thought you would find this interesting Please as well tell. so they went in a lot of different directions this word and that word but it was always like a pronunciation was different well it would have been if it was me it'd be me yeah yeah nothing really matched but when they really got to looking like a cross because first they're just doing indo-european mm-hmm. to to uh, match english yep but what they found out is across all languages mama and papa yeah. exist everywhere everywhere yeah that's and it could just be right. the simplicity they say like it's a it's an easy word yeah. to mouth yeah it's very basic and how awesome is it that the first word that a baby can the first words that a baby can manage to put together is uh, something that's traveled through humanity and exists on every yep that's true that's 110 percent true by the way i'm gonna do a history on fire episode about one particular battle pitting germans and romans Ooh. And one of the ar- like and the pit, reason why I bring this up Roman days. Yeah, the, the reason why I bring it up is because it's tied to this in- business of the English language. Basically, one of the arguments is that the English language would not exist had the battle gone the other way. Really? Because the whole idea would be that very likely that all of Germany would have been conquered quickly and easily. At that point, the same thing that happened to all the other places that Rome conquered would have happened, which was Latinized languages like Spain, France, whatever. Portugal, all of them. And so Germanic language would have died out, which means you would have not contribute to then, you know, when they invaded England, they would have spoken a Latin language. No English today. Those uh, barbarians were not to be messed with. Yeah, it's a great start. I mean, it's a Is little... Is it a supply line thing as well, though, at that point? They were stretched so thin and... It wasn't fucking worth it, yes. The, it was stretched too thin and then you would have to fight these crazy barbarians to get what some swamp and the forest there wasn't much <laughs> wealth to be gained so the romans were like you know what this is just not worth it so you're saying this massive empire was stretched to its limit delving into wars and battles all over the world yeah that would never it, happen today it didn't you end know, up too well clearly no never happens today it's we have learned the lessons from history obviously <laughs> the, on that note uh, let's give a shout out to the sweet folks who have donated, which in this case, since we haven't done donations since like 2001, pretty much. No, I'm making it up, but you know, in a long time, there's actually a solid list of names. Let the pottering begin. So let's go with uh, Yanni Linima, uh, who donated twice in this time span because it's been over a month. Aaron Weisner, also twice. John Billet. Um, Jonathan Waterloo. Stephen McKee, Ross Craneham, Thomas Robinson, Samuel McNichol, Lisa Robles, Eric Siegler, Siegler, something, Jim D'Amico, and Matt Chebre. 
You guys are absolutely awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so everybody. much for letting us know that you are listening, that you support the show. That is deeply, deeply appreciated. Thank you also to the sweet folks who have been sponsoring us for a long time. Onnit.com. Uh, there's a link in the episode notes with an automatic discount. I think it's Onnit.Taoist, but I don't remember exactly. So look it up in the episode notes at the Drunken Taoist podcast website. Um, same deal goes for dsgear.com, all the Datsusara wonderful hemp gear. And, um, and of course, if you guys are into funky, cool t-shirts, short design t-shirts, you cannot do better than that. Those guys are awesome. Big shout out to, um, the nice folk at grasslandbeef.com. If you guys do eat meat, please check them out. The deals are awesome. The quality I've tasted it. It's incredibly good. So come straight to your door, not a bad gig. So check them out, grasslandbeef.com. Um, the usual, you know, some of the stuff like Savannah's uh, Rush Guard at uh, these awesome folks at nevertapgear.com. Um, if you guys drink coffee, there's a link for Snow Roast Coffee. They give you a discount, but I don't want to kill you with too many things. And we're going to cut, well... Partially we are gonna cut, partially I received news that some of our sponsors will be dropping us in the near future due to changes. Ch-ch-ch-changes. Yes, so this list is gonna get a lot shorter and we'll keep it quick and simple. So if you guys can keep supporting the survivors of the porch <laughs> that will happen in a month or two, that would be sweet. Daisy House Music at daisyhouse slash bandcamp. You can check out the fine folks that give us our incredible theme music. Kiva.org continues to grow regardless of sponsorships that drop in this because we just sort of sponsor them to help in their efforts. And I can't think of anything else. Uh, everything, anything else is just you guys have an awesome day. Bye. <laughs>
completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're right outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about. Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought. <coughs> We'll, <coughs> we'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> That's maybe too powerful. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss. <laughs>